Second Corinthians, um, last week we looked at verses 6 through 8, for those of you who are here. And we saw that when we die, those who are believers, that is, who, those who are believers in Jesus Christ, we are immediately ushered into paradise, into the very literal presence of the Lord Jesus. Verses 6 through 8. This is from last week, but we'll just read it now. So we are always confident and know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight, and we are confident and satisfied to be out of the body and at home with the Lord. I'm going to raise this up just a little bit. Verse 9, then, is where we're starting today. It's, it's a logical conclusion to be drawn from that truth. Look at verse 9. Since this is true, verse 9, Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to Him, to be pleasing to the Lord. And then look at verse 10. For we must all appear before the tribunal of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or worthless. For, that word for at the beginning of verse 10, looks back to verse 9. So what we have in verse 8 and in verse 10 are two reasons for the recommended action in verse 9. Two reasons that we are to strive to be pleasing to the Lord. Okay, verse 9, be pleasing to the Lord. Verse 8, one reason is, is because of your destiny with Christ. Make it your aim to be pleasing to the Lord because of your destiny with Christ. You're going to go home. When you die, you're going to go home to be with him forever. And the other reason, verse 10, has to do with your accountability to Christ. You are going to be judged by him at the final judgment. Today, we're going to spend most of our time looking at the final judgment, verse 10, and then we'll consider God's desire for us to be pleasing to him in verse 9. The judgment at the end of the age, the final judgment, is all over the New Testament. In fact, well, in fact, it's all over it's all over the Bible. It's all over the Old Testament. Let me just give you some verses. By the way, a lot of what's going to be up on the on the slides today are simply scriptures supporting the things that we're talking about in this sermon. So if you just want to jot down references, you can, or you don't even have to jot that down. But uh, that that's a lot of what's going to be. There's going to be a lot of just uh, scripture citation. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. This is Jesus talking. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one greater than Solomon is here. Jesus is talking, and he's looking ahead to that moment, that time that is referred to as the final judgment. Um, next verse. Uh, from Romans 14, the Apostle Paul writing, You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will confess to God. Paul interprets this Old Testament passage as applying to the final judgment. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. From Romans 14. From 1 John chapter 4, In this way love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. There is a final judgment. So what we're going to do is look at verse 10 and look at what it has to say about the final judgment. Verse 10 addresses four questions about that judgment. The first question is, who will be judged? 
will be judged? And the answer is everyone. Everyone. Verse 10 says, for we must all appear before the tribunal of Christ. We must all appear. Paul is writing to Christians. He's writing to Christians. And when he says we, he's also referring to himself. Um, he will also appear. There, there are no exceptions. All will appear before Christ for their lives to be evaluated. This includes the wicked and the righteous, or this includes those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and those who fail to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Ecclesiastes 3.17, I thought in my heart, God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity and a time for every deed. Ecclesiastes 12.14 says, For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. It includes the living and the dead. The living and the dead. Acts 10.42, He commanded us, the Apostle Peter is speaking here, He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that He is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. Number three, you will be there. You will be there. Uh, and I'm talking to you whether you're a believer or not a believer. You know, I, there, there are many uncertain things in life, but there are a few things of which we can be certain. Jesus coming back is one of them. Standing before Christ as the judge is another. Again, summarizing Romans 14 again, but you, why do you criticize your brother? Or you, why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand, we will, we will all stand before the tribunal of God. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. Who will be judged? Everyone. Second question, who will be the judge? Christ. Who will be the judge? Christ. John 5, 22 to 23. Moreover, Jesus says, moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Acts 17.31 For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And whom has God appointed? He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. 2 Timothy 4.1, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. Christ's judgment will be just. It will be just. Romans 2.11, God does not show favoritism. God does not show favoritism. In John 5.30, Jesus says, By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is... Biased. No, it's just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Acts 17.31 again. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. Uh, One preacher said, you will have a fair trial. Christ's judgment is not only just, but it's final. His judgment will be final. There is no higher court of appeal. He's like the Supreme Court of the universe. Uh, there was, uh, in the days of Babe Ruth, the great baseball player, there was an umpire whose name was also Babe. I don't know if that was a popular name back then. His name was Babe Pinelli. Babe Pinelli. And on one occasion, uh, Babe Pinelli called Babe Ruth out on strikes. Ruth wasn't swinging, but he called him out on the, on the non-swinging third strike. 
And Babe Ruth didn't like the call, and neither did uh, Yankee Stadium. And uh, the whole stadium erupted in boos. And uh, Babe Ruth looked at the umpire and said, there's 40,000 people here who know that that last pitch was a ball and not a strike. And the crowd expected the umpire to get angry and eject Ruth from the game, but Pinelli remained calm, and he replied, Maybe so, babe, but mine is the only opinion that counts. <laughs> Christ's judgment is the only one that counts. It's the only one that counts. Those whom he condemns remain condemned. Those whom he acquits remain acquitted. Those whom he justifies remain justified. Those whom he pronounces blessed will remain blessed. Those who he pronounces a curse upon will remain under that curse. Christ is the final judge. What will be the basis, finally, question number, not finally, question number three, what will be the basis of judgment? The basis of judgment is your character and your deeds. Your character and your deeds. And already some questions are going off in some people's minds. Huh? What? But maybe it will hopefully answer your questions as we get moving. Verse 10 here. For we must all appear before the tribunal of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or worthless. First, let's talk about your character. Look, verse 10 starts off by saying we must all appear before the tribunal of Christ. Appear doesn't mean show up, doesn't just mean to show up, to show up and be present. It has the idea of being shown for who you are. It has a being, the idea of being exposed for what you are, stripping you down to the core, so to speak, stripping you down to your character, um, taking away any pretense, any um, opinions people might have, perceptions or whatever, and showing you for who you are. You will be made manifest. Who you are will be revealed and made clear. So who are you? If you are born again, that will be revealed and made clear. If you're a believer, that will be revealed and made clear. If you're a child of God, that will be revealed and made clear. If you're an unbeliever, that will be made clear. If you're an unbeliever, even though you attend church regularly and give the appearance of being a um, someone who walks with the Lord Jesus, um, who you are will be revealed and made clear. If you did good things but didn't pursue the will of God, that will be revealed as well. Matthew 7 is example is an example. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who makes a profession with their lips, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we, didn't we do these spectacular things? Didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you Lawbreakers. They may have done some cool things, but in the end, they're pronounced as lawbreakers. Emperor Maximilian I of Germany died on January 12, 1519. He left instructions when he, would, when he died that he wanted his corpse to be whipped and scourged. He wanted his hair to be pulled out, and he wanted his teeth to be broken out. Um, because he said when he went into the afterlife, he wanted to appear as a humble, penitent man. <laughs> Do you think that'll work at the final judgment? <laughs> Christ will look at him, oh my, how you must have served me. Christ isn't fooled by pretense and cover-ups and by misdirection. Every person will be revealed for who they are at the resurrection. Are they a person of faith? That will be revealed. 
Are they a person of unbelief? That will be revealed. Are they wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ? That will be revealed. Do they only give lip service, but their hearts are far from the Lord? That will be revealed. Not only your character, but your deeds will also be revealed. Verse 10 indicates this, referring to what he has done in the body, whether good or worthless. And this is certainly backed up by other scriptures. I'll just run through some here, several actually. Romans 2, 6, he will repay each one according to his works. Ephesians 6, 8, knowing that whatever good each one does, slave or free, he will receive this back from the Lord. First Peter 1, 17, and if you address the fa- as father, the one who judges impartially based on each one's work, you are to conduct yourself in fear during the time of your temporary residence. Revelation 2.23, Jesus said to believers, Then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts, and I will give to each of you according to your works. Revelation 22.12, Jesus said, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. Secrets and motives will be revealed. 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says, For I am not conscious of anything against myself, but I am not justified by this. The one who evaluates me is the Lord. Therefore, don't judge anything prematurely before the Lord comes, who will bring, both bring to light what is hidden in darkness and reveal the intentions of the hearts. And then praise will come to each one from God. Romans 2.16, This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Luke chapter 12, there is nothing, Jesus speaking again, there is nothing covered that won't be uncovered, nothing hidden that won't be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in an ear in private rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. On the day of judgment, words will be weighed, for the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. A good man produces good things from his storeroom of good. They were talking about character, but character is manifested in deeds. And an evil man produces, produces evil things from the storeroom of evil. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for their words, for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Deeds are brought forth as evidence of character. So the question is, what about Christians? We know we appear before the final judgment. That's what Paul clearly says here in 2 Corinthians 5.10. What about, for instance, those verses like uh, Romans 8.1? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. One question is, will Christians' sins be exposed? And we've been talking about deeds being weighed and uncovered. Will Christians' sins be exposed? And I answer, that's a tough question. Um, and honestly, people are divided. Some say yes, uh, some say no. Um, those who say yes indicate that our sins will be reviewed. They will be reviewed, but they will be reviewed as those that have been pardoned by Jesus Christ. These, these are the sins that were committed, but these are sins that, were, sins that were pardoned by Jesus Christ. But consider that our good deeds, the deeds that God has worked in and through us will be brought forward as evidence of our faith if you're, if you're uh, a believer in Jesus Christ. So if you're a Christian, you point to Christ as your substitute. Um, but where is the evidence of that faith? The things done in the body, uh, the good will be trotted out as evidence of your faith in Jesus Christ. And remember, saving faith makes a difference. If you have saving faith, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you've been saved and you exercise saving faith in Christ, that makes a difference. 
um, there, um, that makes a difference in the way you live. Saving faith is a transforming faith. I'm not suggesting that we're all perfect. Uh, we're certainly all on the road towards that, but as believers, but, um, saving faith makes a difference. And we'll talk a little bit more about that again. The fourth question then is, what will be the purpose of this judgment? According to verse 10, that each one may be repaid for what they have done. That each one may be repaid for what they have done. And again, this truth is also all over the scriptures, including some of the verses that we just looked at, like Romans 2, 6. He will repay each one according to his works. He will repay each one according to his works. And 1 Peter 1, 17 and if you address as father the one who judges impartially based on each one's work, etc. And Revelation 2.23, then all the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts, and I will give to each of you according to your works. This means <laughs> the wicked will be punished. The wicked will be punished. That is, and the Bible, you know, who are the wicked? They're the lawbreakers. They're the ones who don't exercise faith in Jesus Christ. Those who don't believe on the Lord Jesus, who don't exercise saving faith, they will be punished. Second Thessalonians. Um, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. The righteous will be rewarded. That is those who exercise saving faith in Jesus Christ, who have been transformed by the grace of Christ in salvation. With regards to the judgment of Christians, the purpose, okay, when we talk about the final judgment for Christians, the purpose is not to determine whether they get heaven or hell, whether they are saved or not. That issue has already been determined. Jesus paid the guilt for, paid, paid off the guilt for our sins. He paid off, he paid for our sins on the cross. He took the punishment for our sins. So when you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you were justified. You are justified. You will be justified. That is, you were declared righteous in the court of heaven. As a Christian, you are justified. A child of God, you are a citizen of heaven. You are in Christ Jesus. The biblical terminology is you are united with Christ. You are in Christ. It talks about union with Christ. And because of the fact that you are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 1 again, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, the purpose of the final judgment isn't to determine uh, heaven or hell, salvation, damnation, which is it? No, that's already been determined. You've been justified, okay? Um, another passage from Romans 8. Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? And the implication is no one can. God's chosen them. No one can bring an accusation against them. God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Well, if you're looking at Christ Jesus, he's not the one because he's the one who died. Even more has been raised. He's at the right hand of God and he intercedes for us. So going back to those two questions, who can bring an accusation against God's elect and who is the one who condemns? Nobody. <laughs> or somebody that doesn't matter. <laughs> All right? Because God, the one who justifies in Christ, the one who died and who intercedes and so forth, they bring no accusation against 
God's people. They bring no accusation to God's people. So the purpose of um, the purpose of the final judgment for believers is not um, with regards to salvation. If you're a believer, the purpose of judgment is to reward your works, to determine your life in terms of rewards, to reward your works as a believer. What have you done with the gifts and talents and opportunities that God has given to you as a believer? Remember the earlier passage from Luke 19 that Don read for us today, okay? The parable of the king who went away and entrusted his money with his servants. Remember how he came back after a long time and asked each of his servants an accounting of what they did with what he entrusted them. And each was rewarded accordingly. Um, that, that's a picture that's a picture of what Christ is looking for for us. Christ is the king who goes far away, has entrusted us with time, talent, uh, other things, <laughs> uh, treasures. Okay, And what, what ha- how have we served the Lord with our opportunities and our, and our gifts and our talents and so forth? The promise of rewards for faithfulness is clear all throughout the scriptures. Um, quoting here from George Ladd, The principle involved in this judgment is that while salvation is altogether of grace, we are saved by grace, um, by grace alone, um, the Christian is left in no doubt that he is regarded by God as fully answerable for the quality of his present life in the body in terms of rewards in heaven. If you faithfully serve the Lord, you will be rewarded greatly. So let me just summarize verse 10 in this way. At the end of the age... All Christians are going to stand before Jesus. He will review each person's life, revealing each one's faith as it is manifested in their deeds. And he will reward each Christian according to his faith. So if final judgment is sure for us, um, seems like we should prepare for it if we can, right? Uh, Sarah Sarah had something come across her Facebook recently, and I, I really like this. Uh, there is a 0.0296% chance that your child will become a professional athlete. There is a 100% chance your child will stand before Jesus. Um, and there's some writing in the middle. Uh, it says their application is get them to church. That kind of puts things in perspective. you know. So parents, what exactly... Are your goals for your kids, and how? What what exactly are you working for in them? What what exactly are you building into them? What exactly are you preparing them for, for the next two or three years, for the next ten years? Are you preparing them for eternity at all? Um, and, and what about you? Because uh, it's not just your kids who will stand before the Lord. How are you preparing? Uh, what should you do in light of the inevitable future judgment? Um. Well, if you first of all, if you aren't a believer, if you aren't a Christian, you need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is through faith that you are saved. Christ died for your sins. But you have to accept that gift. It's the gift of salvation, and you have to receive that by faith, by putting your trust in Christ, by receiving him into your life. You need to welcome him into your life and follow him. John 5, Jesus says, Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Even if you want nothing to do with Jesus Christ, you will stand before him one day. 
you, you can't avoid him. Um, he is the judge of all, and he will judge every single person who has ever lived, which means he's going to judge you, whether you're a believer or not. And further, you need to know that he loves you. Um, he, as the Son of God, took on human flesh. He took on a human nature in order to come and die for your sins so that you wouldn't have to be condemned and end up in eternal torment. He wants you to believe on him and be forgiven all your sins and be saved. And not only that, he is ready to give you joy and peace as you learn from him. Um, everyone is looking for happiness. Everyone is looking for joy. The only real place to find true, lasting happiness and peace and joy is in Jesus Christ. And he's ready to give that. And it comes only in his presence, in relationship with him. But if you do not turn to him and put your faith in him, you will not be saved. And when you do stand before Christ at the final judgment, you will be condemned. If you are a believer, what should we do as a believer? If you are a believer, then you should do the things that are spelled out in verse 9. Look at verse 9 again. Therefore, whether we are, um, lost my place. Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. We make it our aim to be pleasing to him. You should make it your aim to be pleasing to the Lord. You should make it your aim to do his will. For we will all stand before the tribunal of Christ. We will all stand at the final judgment. You know, verse 10 isn't meant to bum you out. Um, it's meant to motivate you to keep in step with the Holy Spirit who is already dwelling within you as a believer, who is already working within you. One theologian says, it is impossible, he's talking about the early church, it is impossible to overestimate the power of the final judgment as a motive in the primitive church, the early church. On almost every page of St. Paul, for instance, we see that Paul lives in the presence of it. He lets the awe of final judgment descend into his heart to keep his conscience quick. Your goal should be to serve the Lord. Colossians 3.17, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Ephesians 5.8 and 10, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. You should be seeking to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And by the way, one of, uh, I'll tell you a great book to look at in terms of discerning what's pleasing to the Lord. This is called a Bible. <laughs> uh, this is a great book to study in order to discern what's pleasing to the Lord. And then do that. Colossians 1, 9 and 10, Paul's prayer. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. What's he praying? We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. You are not saved for a life of aimlessness or indifference, but to live for the Lord. You see, when you were saved, you were not only saved from something, but you were saved to something. You were not only saved from sins, but you were also saved unto good works. For example, 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, um, Paul says about the Thessalonian believers that Macedonia and Achaia, all the, uh, the people around them, keep talking about the Thessalonians, about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and the true God. We were saved from something, but we were also saved to something. 
Look at look in your Bible. You see chapter 5. We've been looking at chapter 5, verse 10. Just look down to verse 15. Verse 15. What does it say about Christ's death? It says, and he died for all so that... Okay, there's the reason. He died for all so that those who live should no longer, what, live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Christ died that we might not live for ourselves, but to live for him. And, by the way, in other places, the Bible talks about that there is our joy. In living for him, there is joy. In living for him, there is peace. In living for him is all the things we're searching for when we're living for ourselves and we can never find it. It's, it's found in living for Christ. Remember what John, uh, John, James, remember what the uh, Apostle James says about saving faith. Faith without works is dead. It's not a real faith. The faith that saves uh, naturally, or rather supernaturally, changes a person. The hidden root of faith must bring forth the visible fruit of good works. This fruit is expected by Christ, for it brings glory to the Father. And it is especially in the bearing of much fruit that the Father is glorified. Another writer says, The issue is not salvation by works, but works as the irrefutable evidence of a man's or woman's actual relationship with God. Man is saved by faith, but faith is is inevitably revealed by the works it produces. So if you have saving faith in Jesus Christ, it's going to change you. It's going to transform you. It's going to issue forth in works. Um, uh, and what I'm urging you to do is to keep in step with the spirit, work at that, you know, work at that. Um, Paul says, uh, in Philippians two, work out your salvation while God is working within you. So fellow Christian, what is the, what's the bottom line application here? What is it you should do as a result of these two verses? Uh, I'm not going to give you a list of things to do. I'll just give you one thing to do, um, and that is to abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. Seek the Lord Jesus above all else in life. Abide in Christ. Because in abiding in Christ, that's where your faith is built. And your, when you abide in Christ, it's going to transform you. It's going to change you. Okay, It's going to change you. It's going to help you in that process of sanctification and in growth and in holiness. Jesus says, look, I say that because of what Jesus says here in John 15. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. As you abide in Christ, you will bear fruit. So cultivate your relationship with the Lord. Seek him daily. Seek him regularly. Make him first in your life. Seek him above all else in life. Let me just close with the words of a a 19th century preacher. He said, if your faith is in Jesus, if you love Jesus, if your heart goes out to Jesus, if your life is influenced by Jesus, if you make him your example as well as your Savior, there will be evidence. You cannot see it, but there will be evidence in your favor. And he closed his, this particular sermon of his by saying, Oh, that we may have grace, every one of us, to flee to Christ. He is our only safety. Simple faith in Jesus is the basis for the character, which will prove at last that you are chosen of God. 
The final judgment for believers is not meant to scare believers. It's meant to motivate believers to be pleasing to their heavenly father. I think of it in terms of my relationship with my parents. Um, I loved, I love, I still love my parents, but when I was a kid, I loved my parents. And um, it was often my goal to please them. Sometimes it wasn't. But there was another motivation to pleasing them, and that was the hand of my father swinging through the air. <laughs> um, so, you know, there was, there, was, there, was, uh, there was judgment in our household sometimes. <laughs> there was judgment day. And I, uh, but, but the goal, you know, was um, I had a reverence for my parents, a sort of re- not like the reverence for the Lord, but a reverence and a love for them, and I wanted to please them. We're going to see the Lord. We're going to live for him forever. You're going to stand before him. You want to please him. Final judgment for believers should be a motivation to pleasing the Lord. We're going to pray, and then we're going to uh, close with a song.